Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I am your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 53 with my friend, Derek. Derek and I were super close at the end of high school, and then he went to college, and then he moved to New York, and kept in touch here and there but you know we haven't really i don't think had a conversation this long in, in quite a long time and it's really great finding out about all the stuff he's been up to and he has a job i can only uh, imagine is the coolest job ever and you guys will hear about that and stay tuned after the episode for our resident therapist jenny helms she is back to answer listener questions and i look forward to you getting even more out of that so i will talk to you guys after the episode but without further ado Last episode of the year. See you later, 2020. This is my friend, Derek. Also, thank you for doing this. I know it's very late here time. To um, I'm just, just finishing a triple espresso I made an hour ago. <laughs> I feel like I'm over-caffeinated today, so now I'm doing like a chill with a glass of wine with this but i had like a dream about this last night oh god are you okay yeah. <laughs> no you were like i'm gonna need you to watch a it was like everyone i've known in like history was there uh and like people i haven't seen in forever and then i was like you're like but i'm gonna need you to like watch the video first like we're gonna cover this and this and like okay and oh then there's a video involved all these rules started showing up and you're like you're not really paying attention to the rules and i was like i'm i am trying it's a 12 minute video <laughs> And it was like, we don't like to say, like, where I'm from. We prefer it to be, like, I prefer the term, like, where I denested or something. It was, like, all these weird, it was like, I don't know if I'm going to remember all these. Well, I'll tell you what. I can assure you it is nothing like this. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, probably closer to the past, like, 60 seconds of conversation. Right. No, I know. I mean, I've listened to uh, the ones that, of the people I know, so I'm yeah. familiar, but it was just my brain really went with it last night. You know, it's funny, after I made this, I had this idea where I was like, oh my god, I think I came up with a genius idea, because like you just said, people will listen to the ones of the people they know, and I have, right. you know, I have friends from all these different pieces of my life that I've accumulated from, like, you know, school to nine billion different fucking jobs and restaurants <laughs> and retail, and then LA, and uh, so I really do pull all these people and I was like, oh, this is perfect. Cause then from each one of those groups, you'll get a few people that like, I just want to hear all the episodes. And then all of a sudden <laughs> I'll have all this. And I don't know if that worked or not. I can say this is more successful than <laughs> any of the other shit that I do or did. Right. Um, but it's very strange. It's very strange. <laughs> um, anyway. Hi. Hi. <laughs> well, I always start out with how I know people. Uh, okay. You're you're a you're a fun one because I know you from high school, and mm -hmm. we were the best of friends at one point. Um, your senior year, my junior year, if I'm not mistaken, and then that was our sweet spot. Yeah, as, uh, like our group's sweet spot. Yeah. I mean, beyond just um, you and I. Yes, and as, as things do in all. Uh, teenage sitcoms um you went to college i still was in high school <laughs> and then uh and then you know that was in uh east lansing no not east lansing what's it called ypsilanti uh, yeah and then uh, yeah and then after that you went to new york and now you're in california so we'll go down those roads as we get to them but 
Uh, I want to go back in time. There are some things, and I, I made this mistake the first interview I did that never got released, and I always say that, and one day I'll release it if anyone actually subscribes to my Patreon. But I, uh, <laughs> I, I have a lot of things that I know, but I don't want to roll them into assumptions. Okay. So I know your parents, because mm-hmm. uh, hung out at your house all too often. Um, <laughs> I know your parents are disabled from a motorcycle accident. Is that correct? Yes, that uh, is true. You have an older brother with my same name. That is true. But how much older is he than you? Four years, okay. almost exactly. Three years and 11 months. So did you, you didn't grow up in Michigan, did you? Ish, I, I honestly never really know how to answer the question of where I am from. Where or were you where born? I, up. <laughs> I was born in Indiana, in Valparaiso. Okay. Um, oh yeah, because you're Valpo. see another thing I knew. Your dad worked in Gary, right? At some My point, <laughs> dad worked. I mean, we moved a lot around Indiana. He, my dad's name is Gary. Oh, maybe that's, maybe that's why I... I think that's what you're thinking. I don't think he works in. <laughs> that's Gary. so funny that you have but, a brother named yeah, like Justin and your dad's name is Gary, which is the same as my dad's name. Um, Twinning. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, thanks for joining me. Uh, I hope you had fun. <laughs> thank you. This was great. Yeah. Thanks this is my new podcast you. called Similarities, and it's only 30 <laughs> seconds long. I hope you enjoyed it. But So you were born uh, in Indiana. What part of Indiana? Valparaiso. Valpo, as uh, they call it. Why does that sound like a Texas town? Where is that at? It's like, it's it's not far from, it's it's maybe like an hour and a half from Chicago or something. Okay. So upper Indiana. Isn't all of Indiana, Indiana, an hour and a half from Chicago? Um, <laughs> Pretty much. But, okay. Um, okay. Yeah. And then so, how long were you there in Indiana before you guys moved to Michigan? I try to always think about the timeline. Okay, I think here's how it went. Born in Valparaiso, and then my parents were living in Chesterton, Indiana. So we lived there for a second. Somewhere after that, there was a blue house. I can't remember what city. Uh, then we lived in Frankfurt. Indiana for a minute and then Ellettsville, Indiana. And then in the middle of second grade, oh, so you we moved. Yeah. yeah. So that was like, that was my Indiana time. Okay. And then in the middle of second grade, we moved to a little town called Laurenburg, North Carolina for nine months, finished oh. out second grade, left. And then we went to, then I moved to Monroe, Michigan. And was there until the middle of fourth grade, and then we moved to El Paso, Texas, and I was there until the middle of eighth grade, and then I came to Clarkston. Wow. So, honestly, you know, it was like a four years in, in El Paso, and then four and a half years in Clarkston was like the longest I'd been anywhere. But then, so when people was like, where are you from? I was in New York for 15 and a half years. It's like, well, that's where I'm from. That's my home. That's, you know, like, I don't identify with anywhere, and my parents so, left Clarkston ages ago. So. That's so funny to me, because that is such a, I mean, I guess the older we get, the more people subscribe to that uh, way of thinking, and it, and I always pick on it, and it comes it comes from a toxic place. That's, I can tell you, it is me projecting some shit, <laughs> and it, it's, but uh, it starts with Annie, the, we both know Annie. Mm-hmm. Annie was on, uh, Annie, if you guys want to look her up on Instagram, it's Annie Whittington. Um, but she was on Big Brother and she said she was from Chicago. And I lost my mind about that because I was like, <laughs> uh, no, you aren't. Like, we grew up together. 
I know where your parents' house is. You are not from Chicago. And in my defense at this point, you know, this was like over 10 years ago, or maybe it was 10 years ago. Oh, I remember. And so I was like, that's, come on. And uh, as time goes on, you know, I've seen her in Chicago and I go there for work and we've talked and I think I brought that up at one point. And I was like, I guess that at some point you cross the barrier of how many years you've spent at one place versus like your childhood, quote unquote, you know? Um, well, if I had lived in Clarkson my whole life and then also happened to live, you know, 15 and a half years in New York, I would still say Michigan. And I will ask, my stock answer is also is like the following and everybody gets the same thing. I'm like, uh, I've kind of moved around like an army brat. Uh, we never really lived anywhere more than four years. I, you know, been in New York for 15 and a half years, so that's what I consider myself. But if you need, you know, yeah. then I, didn't I realize... just go with Detroit because no one knows what Clarkson is. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize that, um, that you'd moved so much. And that, I mean, it makes so much more sense that there's so much, like, detachment from your, what I thought of as your hometown because... You were here for, yeah, like you said, like four or five, I mean, four years in Clarkson, then you went down to college, right? And then you... Yeah, then four years in, in Ypsilanti, so. and then I left pretty much, I mean, I left as soon as I graduated, like one after that summer. So that makes more I sense. So the money. place that you've actually had next to North Carolina, or next to Indiana, where you were for eight years, that you probably only remember a, a fraction of, um, you it was in New York. So that's uh, at 15. That's crazy. It's crazy to think about and yeah. put that stuff in perspective. We're getting old, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> yep. So, no, it was, a, it was a strange way to grow up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to check myself just on the note of age and timing when I talk about, like, L.A. I have to – I feel like I should be like, but just so we're all clear, I moved back from there 14 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I only lived there for two years, so uh, – Anyway, enough about me. So let's let's go back. <laughs> okay. Do you so you remember living in Indiana 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 Indiana? I'm gonna keep calling it Indiana. Um, you remember living there? I'm assuming because you were I do. years old when you left. You know, it's like the memories are vague. It, it's more just that I remember being closer to like the rest of our, my extended family there. But you know, it's like I remember that that little bit of elementary, but it doesn't hold like super strong you know yeah ties or memories for me but yeah what's um what's home life like when you're in indiana like how are you getting along with your brother when you're a kid and he's he's like about to become a teenager in a couple years and we were great i I mean honestly it's like we were that weird family where everyone would like talk to my parents and be like we wish our kids got along like your your kids did we're he's my best friend i think because we moved so much that yeah. was like our only constant was each other. So you're kind yeah, of that, just like, that makes sense. we have to be each other's best friends because we're about to move somewhere and, you know, but we are also very different people. So for me, we'd move and, you know, a month later I'd have, you know, 50 friends and he'd still be kind of like adjusting. So we're yeah. just, we're very different personalities, but no, we were very close. Like it was a very good family life. And you moved, up. I'm assuming you moved so much for your parents' work. It was always for my dad's job. Okay. Like it was always for like, which was always then a better style of or quality of life for us. What was know? he doing better. when you were born? Automotive. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll say blanket automotive. Uh, you know, 
Was there there wasn't like a specialized area that <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey. I mean, I do ish now. Like I know the later jobs, but those early things, no, not really. It's funny how many people. It's my. It's one of my favorite like little tidbits. <laughs> I ask that question to everybody. Like, what did your parents do when you were born? And the amount of people that can't answer. I mean, it's more than than can. Uh, and it's yeah. always it's always funny to think about because it, it puts a little perspective on it and been like, well, my parents had me when I like, you know, my mom had me when she was 30. I'm 37 now. Like, I don't know. What the fuck was my mom doing? When she was 30. <laughs> but, um, so, yeah, it's it's always a funny thing that to ask people because you really most people don't know unless you like talked about it or like my mom. I do know because my mom was at State Farm for 30 some years until she retired. But um or those like gray area jobs where you're like, I don't know, like even still, it's like a technical yeah. job. Like I don't know. Dad brought home little bags mom. of pills and he made some money. Um, <laughs> like my mom ran a daycare. That's easy. Like that I know. But, you know. Yeah. Did, so let's touch on that real quick. Your mom, did she run a daycare? Was that a thing? So that was kind of like what she, my mom was a nurse. Okay. Uh, before she had me. And then basically she kind of gave it up. What, what happened was like, I'm sort of the third try. Like okay. my, my mom, they had my brother they really wanted another. And my mom had two miscarriages and they completely gave up on having another kid. My mom couldn't go through it anymore. Yeah. She was also working in uh, like the children's ward and working with babies. And she was just seeing so many terrible things. Yeah. She, it was kind of like, it wasn't really working. And, and by chance, like they got pregnant with me and it stuck and she, she gave up nursing and she ended up like in the beginning days she was just doing like uh daycare out of the home so she okay. could still be with us but you know so there's always a bunch of other kids around and then as we got a little older what she would kind of do is like she started working like kinder cares and things like that okay. where she would work but she would also be home by the time we were home so but we I, were like so when really you're unaware in, she was working when you're in indiana um you know like pre eight years old is she running a daycare out of your house Mm-hmm. So how do you think that affected you having all those kids around all the time? Oh, it was good. I went to school with most of them. So it was just like, great. My friends are coming home with me. Do, do you uh, think, because I'm guessing those kids were mostly around your age and not your brother's age. Yeah. So do you think that was impactful when you were moving and you said like, oh, I'm making all these friends and my brother's not like you were kind of, we're always in a social environment. Yeah, but I think it's also just like, it is just our, I don't know, it's just, I used to be a very sort of uh, uh, extroverted person, and, and yeah. the older I've gotten, I've become much, much, much more introverted, and he was always a little bit more introverted, and, yeah. uh, so it was just kind of our, our general demeanor anyway. Okay, um, so your dad's working, and that gets you guys moving around a lot. Do you, is he working normal hours or is, do you not see him much growing up? My dad was like normal hours, but once we kind of like went to Texas, there was just a lot, like he was always on business. So there's a lot of times it was just like my brother and my mom and I, um, she so just did a shit ton of travel. Um, usually not to like super exciting places either, but, uh, but yeah, in a general sense, you know, he was around a lot, but so how is how is childhood until you get to Texas? So you you leave Indiana, you go to North Carolina, then you go to Michigan. I mean, there's a there's a two or three years there. Is it all kind of a blur? Like, do you think of stuff and you're like, I don't know what fucking house that happened in? 
Uh, no, those things are pretty clear to me. Like, I think there are houses were always like so distinct. Mm. Those those things kind of stand out to me. But it is a definitely kind of a, a I don't know. It, it's I will always say it's like it's done really good things for me, and I think at the time it did some bad things for me because it is really tough to like settle in. Yeah. Have, you know set up base and, and make a ton of friends and then you're like just kidding like and it was always such short notice it was like and we're leaving okay and you're like okay and as i said like half of them were in the middle of school years so yeah. that was always particularly rough too but that said it's made this really easy for me to be like fine yeah i'm gonna pick up and go to new york at, at 22 and I, all right fine fuck it 15 years later i'm just gonna go to la you know i am aware that my body sort of has that in me before you like went to college and then went to New York. Um, was the, Did you find yourself like ever having any resentment for that kind of life for so many years? Yeah. <laughs> the big one, I don't think they really impacted me because I was so young. The one that really broke, I think both of us, was leaving El Paso. Yeah. I really loved it. I mean, I had a very, very, very hard time there in terms of like getting bullied and I obviously didn't know I was gay then, but everyone else was wildly aware of it. So you know, I was destroyed in middle school, but I also had 8,000 girlfriends and I was also having like a blast. I was like really kind of both sides of the coin, but I didn't want to leave. I mean, I actively tried to stay. I was like, what if my friends put me up and you guys go to Michigan? Or, yeah. Um, well, and then, yeah, you're about to go into high school. Your brother's graduating. My brother, they had to, they moved him in the middle of his senior year. That sucks. So that was, yeah, it was not an ideal thing for I. And for me, having to jump into like Clarkston Middle School in in the middle of everyone's eighth grade, everyone's you know like been together for a long time. Yeah. That was the only one that I think really like. I was furious. Let's go back to El Paso and middle school. Um, so I'm uh, talking to people and my own experience. Uh, middle school the transition to sixth grade uh for whatever fucking reason if there's some childhood trauma happening it's typically around 11 or 12 and it's like i don't know if like people put signs on they're like sexually sexually abuse me i'm 11 um <laughs> but like what what's middle school like you already mentioned that like you were kind of target of being bullied but what uh i mean what's your life like at that point it, it's it's hard because it was like i was having a blast i mean it was just one of those like i, I was constantly surrounded by like a flock of women or you know girls like you know i was like very very much like just starting to discover acting so that was a big deal because that's obviously what i majored in i mean that is what my career was yeah. for a good chunk of my my life and so i had had a teacher that introduced me to that and i started doing these like acting like competitions things and we would put on these scenes and we would we would compete with other schools and so i really started like doing something i loved that i'd always wanted to do and had no outlet for i had a million incredible friends i was literally just on the phone all day every day and my best friend my best like guy friend lived on my block uh two of them so we would just like rollerblade all night and all day and then come in and you know pass out and do it all over again so it, it was such a flip of like those are such fond memories and also, you know, I also like hit my breaking point where it's, you know, I had like, especially one kid who really just broke me down as a human being who would like, I would like 
avoid hallways or I would be late to class so I didn't have to pass in. I would avoid at all costs um, because it was just such like relentless, constant worry of like waiting to get beat up or like get on the bus and it would just be these fucking assholes who would just like flick the backs of my ears and I'd come home bawling my eyes out. And I don't know, like everything about middle school is a complete 50-50 in terms of like my memories and um, what I will say, I, I really think it, beyond just society where it was at that point did for me was I do credit it as being one of the reasons I feel like I, I mean, I came out when I realized it and that would be like a later story, but uh, I credit it as why I, it took me so long to figure it out because I, I always say that like, I was always like fighting for my life there. So it was always, uh, I'm not gay. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Like you're trying to like distance yourself from the thing that everyone's calling you. And that thing they're calling you is why they want to beat the shit out of you. So for me, it's like, I spent, I feel like I spent so long saying, no, I'm not that I couldn't even process yeah. just existing and, and having it sort of come naturally, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to go down that road. Um, and I, I try to stay on a chronological order. It never I know, works, I'm trying to as well. <laughs> no, I just, I can't imagine. I mean, I can to some degree, um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of people uh, have pointed this out like, books I read and people uh, podcasts I listen to but like especially in the 90s in the 80s like being gay was the like last thing you wanted to be like you play on the playground you played smear the queer right and mm-hmm. then, um, even can't hardly wait amazing movie but what does Mike Dexter get called right. in, the, in the piano room when he's wasted and yep. he asks for Amanda back there everyone just goes fag like uh-huh. and it's it's just and I remember like, laughing my ass off when that happened. And yeah, when I watched that movie for the first time. I mean, that was just what we were. Yeah, well, that's then. that's the thing. You is it's not that. only that, but then you become desensitized to it. You relate it to, yeah. I mean, so many negative connotations that. Well, even just I remember imagine, everything. You'll be like, "That's gay." Yeah. As a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bro, like that's so gay. You're yeah. Like, um, it's inappropriate for me to quote Michael Scott right now, but I really want to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, (laughs) i will derail everything uh no but it's it's i imagine if you if there's even an inkling inside of you that's like i'm trying to figure out what to call this that i'm feeling and everything around you is saying don't fucking call it this (laughs) that's got to be one of the most internally frustrating things that you can go through as a person I, I mean, being able to say to yourself, like, oh, I'm gay. And then with that history has got to just be fucking the worst. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I, I feel for you there. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, but middle school, as far as your social life outside of the bullies, you're, you're loving it, sounds like, though. Yeah, I, I think I just like the location too, and also I wanted to be an actor, so I was like, oh, I'm this yeah. much closer to California than I was when we lived in the Midwest. Like, maybe I can get to LA, and you know, that was always on my radar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then we went back to snowy weather. <laughs> so, you, um, when do your parents get in the accident? So my parents get in into the accident right at the end of sophomore year okay then let's just let's go to michigan <laughs> right um started a new school Put your coat on. finish out your eighth grade um and then 
I mean, by the time you were going into high school, because I, I imagine the second half of the school year, like at the time, probably seemed like it took forever because we were younger. Um, so by the time like high school rolled around, did you have a few established friends and you were kind of like looking forward to it or were you still missing? Yeah, pictures? no, I think it, I adjust quickly. I mean, I might have been angry yeah. for a minute, but like I do adjust very quickly. And, and at that time, it was like I had found Nicole Mullman and Nick Thomas and like that was my little like trio at, at the end of middle school. So I went into high school, like riding high on those friendships and, um, and was feeling good about it. And oddly it just stopped. Like for the most part, like the bullying and all that, like it didn't follow me. Yeah. And so it was just kind of like, Oh, well this is also refreshing in its own right. So I think, you know, so yeah, I went into things pretty good uh going into high school like i was i was excited um i'm gonna branch off on a, on a different subject because i'm wondering this is me again projecting stuff but uh, if there's anyone that has the same mindset as as me i would imagine it's you because so you were heavy into movies um are you still yeah. are you still big into movies or is it like i, I, I like I, watching them but i don't no i will <laughs> say i like maybe i don't know seven years ago eight years ago it's like my focus has really shifted to television because i think the more interesting stories are being told on television and it's, i feel like while now things are starting to get a little recycled we have been in a golden era of television but yeah all of it i was always an entertainment junkie I and mean, i was music was always going at the tv or yeah you know it wasn't on or it wasn't at the movies and i mean i would live for that as a kid like going to blockbuster looking for the red cover of the movie I wanted. I mean, I, my parents would barely be able to even like pull the car in and, and, you know, turn the engine off. And I'd be like, I know which ones we're going for. Like I would dictate like what we were watching that weekend. So I would bolt in and I'd be the first one to be like, it's not on the shelf. I want to check the box. And I'd be like the no, like annoying kid making the blockbuster employee, which I then was later, uh, you know, <laughs> unlock and open the box to see if anyone had dropped off the movie I wanted. And you get that movie and it was like, a piece of gold so yeah i was like obsessed with so especially then film it's funny hearing hearing you talk about how far back that went i'm wondering like if you if that was like an a uh, uh, security and, and an escape like with everything constantly changing you always had movies that you could go to yeah. and, and kind of get away from everything and, and immerse yourself in that experience actors that you like and you know yeah i'm i'm wondering the thing i was going to ask about me well about you but i wonder so i've realized that i was so into movies for so long and i'm i'm sitting below this giant dvd rack above my head but um <laughs> sometimes i've come to the realization that if life is not playing out the way that like maybe a film would those in-between moments are so easy to cast aside because it's like, eh, who cares? <laughs> and I think, I think that's probably true with like everybody in a lack of gratitude and blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I get a specific joy when things are playing out the way that you would see them on screen. Like if sure. you have a song on and you're driving and like everything's matching the way that like this would be the soundtrack if this were a scene and I'm like going here. And there's there are like a specific five or six moments that I can really like 
pick out and be like, that was exactly like a movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I wonder if, if you're that way where you feel those things when they're happening and you also might find yourself bored in times that aren't necessarily boring, but they're not, you know, moving the story along, so to speak. I, I think so. I think more what it kind of did was like, I would sort of set myself up for like false expectations of yeah. how things should be. Like, so I was like, but this is what love is supposed to look like. Like, yeah. this is how a romance plays out. And it's like, that's not how it looks. And yeah. like, nothing is how it looks. And, but you really sort of get that in your head and you're like, I'm going to you know, pine after this person at the end. I'll prevail because I love them the most. And, you know, they just have to see it. And once they do like yeah. all these years of friendship, but you know, it's like, I really went into life. Like I think just skewed my romantic view of things, which yeah. is like, but this is how it happens because I'm a good person. I really feel for this person. And, yeah. You, you say know, that and I immediately am like, how it works. Oh yeah. When Ever. I, <laughs> I'm broken up with. I need to buy a record store and get super depressed and then talk to my friend sure. Jack Black who brings in morning mixes. <laughs> and why didn't that happen? Where's my Marie de Sahel? Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I was wondering and I, I feel like we're we're on a similar page there. The expectations thing is yeah, I one hundred percent relate to that. Um, <laughs> because it's it's sometimes difficult to find joy in um just events that you might see played out in movies. I mean, look at holidays, right? Like sometimes it's like, Oh, this isn't this. Our Christmas isn't like the Christmas in the movies. Like, Oh, what a terrible Christmas. <laughs> Not terrible. Yeah. That's why I think I always want like a, I wanted to like marry into a huge family or something. Like, yeah. I want that like wacky, like, this you know this person's not talking to this person this year and you're like off having a drink you know in the basement with this family member that yeah. you love and you're gossiping about these people it's like i have a family of four people like we couldn't be a smaller family so just, <laughs> and there's very little drama within it so it's just kind of like oh, well yeah all right it's another quiet one <laughs> all right well all right getting back to to derek's life um <laughs> so <laughs> Tell me about when your parents get in the accident. What is that like? How do you find out? What's the what's the situation? The, that was rough. So basically, the the build up to that story is, I mean, I chalk it up to kind of my dad having a midlife crisis, you know, and decides like he's going to get a motorcycle. I don't ever remember my dad ever talking about wanting a motorcycle his whole life. Oh, uh, so this wasn't like, something he just did recreationally your whole life. This no, was just, no. Okay. She's just like, we're going to do this now. And you're yeah. like, I guess. Um, but I don't ever, ever remember it. So they got this beautiful, like, red motorcycle. And uh, I, I, I honestly, it's like the timing of it all, I know is a little skewed on my part. I remember some things differently. After I've talked to my parents about this a lot recently. And it's like, I definitely have a, a more skewed view of, of what I remember happening after and, and the like. But yeah. okay, so basically, my dad gets that. Um, you know, he and my mom, like, motorcycle gear, and helmets, and all that, and there's a lot of joy riding around, but I don't remember him actually having it that long. So, the day it happens, I always feel a little bit of guilt, because I, you know, everything, it's like the butterfly effect. Yeah. Uh, if I had been there that day, any combination of things could have changed the slightest bit of, of how that day panned out, yeah. but... I 
kind of lied and was just like, I have a lot of homework. And like, basically my brother was married at this point or, or almost married. Um, I'm now like, I have kind of like a life. I've just gotten either my permit or my license and I'm, I'm working at Subway with Michelle because I like got that job sophomore year after I'd met her. I'm like, I'm having a blast and it's walking distance from my house. So even if I don't drive, it's like, everything's really easy. And I feel like that day, I remember it. Like, I believe I lied, to be quite honest. It was just like, I have a lot of homework because they were like, we're going to go joyriding and just like drive around and maybe like have lunch somewhere. And I, it was like a, I was 15 or 16. Like, I didn't want to. Yeah. I just wanted to like, we've had AOL, you know, it was like, I want to dick around on the computer. I was that age. So who knows? But, you know, but I just wanted to like hang out and like aim with friends. And, and so, ASL, want a cyber? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, familiar. I, I stayed home. I remember hanging out because our computer was in the basement. So it was in the basement all day. And um, my brother was like a big prankster. So, uh, you know, and he liked to tease, like, not in a bad way, but like tease me a lot. And um, so I remember, like, it was kind of mid afternoon and he called me and he sounded very upset. And he was just like, I need you to be out on the porch in like five minutes. And I, and he wouldn't say, he just like wouldn't say what had happened. And so I finally got it out of him because he didn't want to say, because he didn't want me to react and just be there by myself. Yeah. So he didn't want to tell me and I wouldn't oblige until he did. So then he finally was like, you know, mom, Deborah in an accident, I will tell you about it, but. I don't have time, like just be on the porch in five minutes. And I thought he was kidding for a minute and he definitely wasn't. So he shows up like he's riding like a bat out of hell and like picks me up. And basically what had happened is they had all like had lunch. My brother and his either whatever, fiance, wife, whatever she was at that time, uh, they were following behind my parents in their car. My parents were on the motorcycle in front of them. And it was a very simple thing. Uh, they were going around around a, a winding road. They hit gravel, and you know, instead of sliding out because they started to slide on it, in order to not go on their sides, my dad swerved into the other lane, and and they did. They hit a car head on, and they both flipped off the motorcycle. Oh my God. Both of them cracked their helmets and broke their spines, like that so that was i mean that was kind of the end of a very certain like point in my life like things were very grown up after that because they kind of had to be you know like that i kind of note that that point is sort of a, a like end of childhood moment because we had to face some very adult things that day, you know, and you, there's, I hope no one ever has to go through it, but to like to walk into a hospital room and just, you know, you walk in and you're like, your mom is screaming in pain. Yeah. My dad. So, and this is like a terrible guilt thing for him, but you know, my dad was driving it. It was his idea to get the motorcycle. And my dad was the one injured the least. So while they had both broken their spines, my dad broke his ankle my mom also like broke her ribs, punctured her lung with it. Um, and they just fractured different parts of their spine. So when we had shown up, she was in much worse 
you know, like a much worse place. My dad could actually like speak to us. My dad's bawling. My mom is screaming. And we wait as they like rushed them into surgery. And we met with like the spinal surgeon who came in and he sat my brother and my sister-in-law and I down that day and basically told us your mom will never walk again and she'll never have control over her bodily functions either. So like you could really grow up like that when you're like, Oh, so I like, I'm a kid, you know, yeah. like I'm just at like the prime of my like being a fucking teenager and doing whatever I want and having that freedom of a license and a job and making your own money and having this, you know, great friend group brewing. And so you really grow up very quickly and I don't deal great with things like that. My brother was a much stronger person than I was. Like I will definitely kind of tend to run away from, from yeah. big awkward things like that. And I wanted no part of it. I mean, I didn't, want to have to deal with it. I, I didn't want to deal with what the realities of that were going to look like. And it was pretty clear early on, like my dad would, would be able to walk, but we didn't know how bad the damage was. So I remember going home that night. Oh, that is it too. So my brother was already moved out. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I, so you're in the house by yourself. So I'm just alone. You know, I imagine he stayed with me that night or whatever, but I, what I remember of the next chunk of time is that i was alone in that house yeah how long were they my in the grandparents hospital came in and out again i remember it yeah. being like a month or so and they tell me it's like it was a few weeks yeah i remember it being like the duration of that school year and then some but i remember the oddness of like it happened we came home that night very unsure of what life was going to look like in the coming days and then i had school the next day and I remember like Nicole, Nicole Molman picked me up with her dad who just passed, which is really upsetting, um, to take us to school. And I just didn't say anything. Like, I remember just like, I don't know. I just didn't like, Yeah. I didn't bring it up. It was just a weird, like I'd just gone through this, like, I don't know, maybe it was shock or something. And I finally like mentioned it like a half hour later, like, Oh, this happened. Yeah. And I think I was just in kind of a like, mm, I, I don't really know how to talk about this, deal with it, process it. Yeah. Uh, what ended up happening was the best case scenario. Both my parents walk. Um, my mom does have control over, you know, her bodily functions. Um, and it was kind of a miracle. I mean, they have Dr. Hoekstra, this incredible doctor in Michigan, um, like piece them together. They have metal rods in their spines and, um, but they were in the hospital for a very long time, it took a very long time to recover. And then when they came home, life was just the worst. Like, well, I imagine you had to help out a lot yeah. at that point. My brother though did, I mean, I will always give him the credit for doing heavy lifting. I would run off and hang out with my friends and I would go to work and yeah, you know, I was very much in the like, well, my life isn't changing. I just, I have a job now. Like yeah. I have things to do and I have homework and you know, I think at that point my brother had dropped out of college and it was like, well, he's got the time and he's got the energy and a car and you know, my grandparents were there a, a fair amount, but it was the only time we all just like, we went, it's like, I think it's the only time I've ever like gotten into a fight with my mom. Like, cause just tensions were so high. She was miserable. Yeah. My dad was miserable because he did that to her, you know, in his mind. And he, yeah. they both like had no idea 
fully then what mobility they would get back. They were both in walkers. They both had to wear these, like, we call them turtle shells, like these hard braces forever. Yeah, I remember. Because they were not allowed to move their spines you know, your in any way. Yeah, like it was a it was an, a thing. And so everyone's miserable and I don't deal well with like, I'll be very empathic. So if that's the energy, then like my energy goes down and I, you know, I don't even remember what we fought about. But I remember like making her cry and I'd never done that before. But uh, yeah, it was just, that was just sort of it. You're like, okay. And, and it was shortly after that, it was like, then Brianna got diagnosed with, you know, cancer a year later. And it was like, I look back on my high school and it was like, I was in a support group for my friend with cancer while my parents are like recovering from their spinal injuries at home. Somehow, I mean, I still had a great high school experience, but it was definitely clouded in like a pretty large cloud of shit. Were you in the Brianna group Mm -hmm. with me? I guess. Yeah. And like, we'd have to go to the counseling office. Yeah. Like once a week. Me, Ellen was there. Emily. Lisa. Yeah. I don't remember you being there. I don't remember you being I, there. I remember Ellen. I remember Lisa. Yeah, because I was dating Ellen when that all started going down. Right. Yeah. You can smirk Interesting. all Interesting. <laughs> so, that's, so that's why I knew you before the scream night that I kind of credit as the catalyst to all of that. Oh, yeah. That totally makes sense. That's so funny. Yeah. That was like a that's those are some of my core not great memories of you know high school and brianna lived yeah across not right across the street from, but maybe but Spring yeah, Lakes. Yeah, yeah. it was you know right on the other side there so. yeah i was just putting together my high school photo album and was looking at a bunch of pictures of me brianna and lisa and i mean i'd known lisa for since i was in fucking latchkey in first grade so um yeah that's that was super sad and it's, yeah. it's crazy because i think a lot of that Anything that coincides with a relationship I had, I've blocked memories out. Oh, I mean, I'm confident I have like a fair amount of like blocked memories from that time of of like the home life and things like that. Yeah. Like, I remember pretty vividly all the things we did as as friends and all of that. But like, I think I, I, my parents, in the way they tell it, I just stopped being around. Yeah, I, which I mean, hopefully at this point you're able to look back and forgive yourself. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, you, yeah, exactly. You're, you, you know, that's uh, you find a coping mechanism, especially if it's like as heavy as that sounds like it was. My dad said that to me recently. He's like, "You run from things." Like, it's like oh, I don't yeah, know. I, mean, I don't. I was like, I remember always being there. He's like, "You were never home." Yeah, but I also. I'm going to push back on your dad's generalization. Uh, well, I feel like our parents are like to like, oh, well, you did this all the time when you were, you know, 15. So that's that's your personality trait now. I'm like, well, hold on a right. second. <laughs> right. <laughs> While uh, I haven't aged today, I have grown up emotionally. Yeah. The last um, 20 years, I like to think I've done some work on myself. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, yeah, that's a... Uh, that is a heavy, that's a heavy time period. Um, Those were a lot of things where you're just like, I don't know. I know I'm graduating at 18, but I feel like I'm 27 now because <laughs> I have to do well, so, so much Yeah, let's jump shit. to there. You're, you graduate, you, do you apply to other colleges or are you just 
planning on going to Eastern? What's what well, is this? I was so like, I was so whatever with college. So I wanted to go to Wilmington because Dawson's, Dawson's Creek. Creek filmed there. Not at all because they had a good school. Not that my parents could afford an out-of-state college, but I yeah. applied to Wilmington because that I wanted to go beyond Dawson's Creek. And if I was there going to college, I would sure enough be there. Yeah. So a town of only seven people. The chances are I'm going to be on the show. <laughs> I will not only be on the show, I will be a lead. Um, so I was so dumb with college. I think I didn't really care. Like, I always knew college was something I had to do. But I didn't really give a shit. Like, and I definitely was like, I want to be an actor, but I didn't do any looking into uh who had the best school or why I liked it. And so I remember I applied to U of M and they said, no. Um, and then I think I applied to just all of them. Right? I think you just do the run the gamut and you're like yeah, central. Yeah. And even though I was like, I, my brother went to central for a, a year. I didn't want to go there. And uh, I didn't really want to go to Michigan state and Eastern did have a theater program and I could major in theater there. And it didn't have to just be musicals, which I had no part of or wanted no part of. Like I, I wanted to do straight theater and I wanted to get into you know, film and TV acting, not Broadway. I didn't yeah, you yeah. Know, want to do that. So uh, no, but I know at the end of the day, what it kind of came down to was just like, all right, like Ryan's going to go there and Michelle's going to go there and Truly's going to go there. You know, like, I guess if I went to central Kent would be there, but so it was kind of a, like, I, let's all, it, I feel like it was a group decision. Like we, I remember us all take driving to go see it. Like yeah. I remember like, uh, Michelle and Ryan and I and probably truly was there. I remember driving yeah. everyone down there in my station wagon once <laughs> before you guys started. Um, and there's nothing like exciting necessarily about the campus, but it was just kind of like, no, we're all going. Not. So this is like, this is what we're doing for college. Also, it was cheaper than a lot of the other ones. Yeah. Because I didn't care that much. I wasn't going to make my parents spend like a fortune on college on, when I was just like, mm, I don't really know what I'm doing. I really just want to stop being I really, really don't want to keep going to school. Yeah. Well, walk, walk me through then. You get down there, and it's your freshman year that you come out, right? Sophomore year. Sophomore year. So, but it started to ease the process. So also, you know, my memories of... It was your sophomore year? Yeah. I, sophomore year, I came out as bi. I didn't even come out as gay. Because I remember... I, like, waited in the pool for a minute. You, uh... Because you told me via AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> that checks out. Um, but I thought it was, I thought I, I thought I was at my mom's house when you told me. But I would have been, I would have been in my apartment at that point, unless it was the beginning of sophomore year. It, I think it started towards the beginning of sophomore year, and then I spent the entire year working up to like almost a full circle year later to like, then the first time I came out to, as gay was to my parents. So it took a while for me to like, kind of have like that phase of like, well, I could have either and maybe I'll still have like a normal life, and, you know, yeah. whatever that was. But, but, you know, I remember in high school, again, while I wasn't bullied, things weren't great for like uh, um, anyone that was assumed gay and i remember always just kind of thinking well there's bigger targets than me yeah here so that are that seem more gay than i do so i was able to sort of skate through that but i also had no interaction with any like you know i had no gay friends i had no idea what that looked like so it took me getting to college and 
I instantly plunged myself into theater. I mean, I think I was cast in something before my classes started. And, and then I was doing that and I was doing like a Christmas Carol. Like I, I was frequently doing two shows at once in, in school. And I very quickly befriended uh, my friend Ralphie and he was gay. And he very much was like always kind of hitting on me. He's like, Oh, well you are. And like, it's totally fine that you don't see it. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, he's like, well, but when you are like, come find me. And, um, you know, and, but no one, there was no stigma on it. Like there were yeah. at this point, like people saying like, you are this in a, like the most like friendly, loving way of like, yeah. and it's okay by the way. And, so then I had gay friends and I started to see like how much I loved them, how normalized that, you know, looked and they were just a part of my, you know, my whole world then. So for me, it was like freshman year was starting to get into, you know, coming into my own. And it was a, you know, a year where I was just like, I never really had any formal, I didn't do any theater in high school. I couldn't afford to, like I had to work a job. Yeah. And I was having fun with all you guys and I didn't care. I wasn't going to like take time out to like do a play or something. But yeah, freshman year by and large was like, oh, I just threw myself in and people were receptive and people were casting me. And it was like, oh, I'm doing this for real now. I actually am happy to be in college and doing something and that I love. And I'm like learning things. And yeah, I have to take all these stupid, like I have to go to these dumb classes, but, but you know, but it was also a lot I'm like in college, it was like, I worked full time. I was always taking, you know, my full 15 credits or whatever it was. And I was always doing at least a show and sometimes directing a little thing or doing a second sideshow or doing someone's director's project. And it was like a whirlwind. Um, but yeah, freshman year was, was getting into that. And then sophomore year, I was like out of the dorm because I was like, I'll never live with someone again and I will never be in a dorm again. I was very burned on yeah. <laughs> a lot of things. And I got my like own on-campus apartment, which is amazing. Yeah, so that was when I remember. Uh, it's so funny. It's like you look back on it. And you're just like, that was the person that that like kicked off the thing. But uh, by then, I was like very, very into the theater scene. And I think I was starting to like hit a point that everyone else did so many years earlier. I was like, oh, I dyed my hair black, and I was like, oh, I'll just start like growing it out a little longer. I'm like wear this big oversized hoodie, and like everyone like notes like sophomore year Derek's like fashion choices, and, uh, like sure I'll paint my nails black. I was like I should like things I should have done four years earlier. Uh, but it was like, okay, I'm in my like weird little phase. And, and so there was a, another guy that, uh, named JJ that was, that was on our, not, uh, not an acting team, just, he was also majoring in theater. And, uh, and I, he was the first guy I remember having like open feelings about like, oh, I want to go after this. And I wanted to just, act, you know, I was finally at a point where I was like comfortable with it. So I remember telling Dave then, cause Dave was sort of like, we became very fast and close friends at the very beginning of that year and, and working up the nerve to tell him like, I kind of want to like, you know, make it happen with this guy or whatever. And, and this guy was, was out and openly gay. And, um, and so I remember like testing the water and he and his girlfriend and they were both so, so, so good about it. I was just like, that's amazing. Like, yeah, you should do it. So I remember I had like a loose like party at my place. Um, and this guy was like the last one to leave. And I was like, the first time I kissed a guy, it was like, we finally like worked up the nerve to do it. And, and that was just like game changing, not him, but yeah. it, you know, like, <laughs> oh, okay. Just like I did that and that felt amazing and it felt very normalized and natural. And, um, and so that's when 
that whole sort of door opened for me in, in terms of like, oh, I've finally been like made comfortable with the idea of it. But there also still was having to go through the process with everybody. And at that time, I was still like, well, I'm bi. And at that time, so were a lot of other people in my life that were yeah. like the new freshmen in that were like, oh, we're, everyone's kind of bi. Everyone's experimenting. And, yeah. um, and at that point, things were starting to open up as far as, you know, when we were in high school, it was like, oh, there was Jack on Dawson's Creek. End of gay list. You know, like there was no gay <laughs> representation. And now we're coming into things and like, oh, Willow's gay on Buffy. and Oh, like on all these, I'm starting to see it represented in television as well. Yeah. Uh, and then Queer's Folk Which came is on, like, I imagine know. even, I mean, television is your safe space. So seeing, yeah, it is. seeing so it it's there. It's a really big deal to yeah. be like, oh, uh, I'm finally starting to see this and it's becoming more normalized and it's on all these shows that I love the most. They, they keep turning these characters gay. And um, so I just, all the way around, and just the theater. I mean, the theater was like my whole life. You know, I was like, that was who I was around and this thing led to nothing with this guy, but it opened me up to be like, Oh, okay. Now the sky's the limit. But I also then still was like actively making out with this girl and like, we'll see. It's like, it's whatever. Um, and you know, it took me then I used that whole entire year to start coming out to everybody. I remember very specifically, I know exactly like what intersection we were at when I told Michelle in the car, and yeah. how nervous I was. She was like, you know, she's still my best friend. That yeah. was like the biggest one to tell besides my parents. And, um, you know, you assume everyone's going to be fine with it, but you don't really know. And, um, and so I, I went down that whole year just kind of like telling everybody and everybody was great. Like never once was there a bad experience about it. And yeah. so then it was like, okay, well now like my parents are the last ones I care about and then I'm done and I don't care who fucking knows or who tells who but the the people I've needed to tell I've told except them and I just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off and that whole summer started to like open up for me it was the last summer I came home and that was when I also like you know like started smoking weed and was like very you know loving every single second of that and like these things i never did in yeah. high school it's just not that kid being 20 like, 21 my parents it's a good basically. time you know yeah. like <laughs> i remember drinking and my parents were fine with it but you know i never really touched anything else so that was that was like there was just a lot going on in my life that i wasn't telling them and at that point i don't even know who i had feelings for but you know guys had like come and gone that i've had you know intense feelings for and and so for them I finally realized like by the end of that summer when I needed to tell them like, why am I, I finally know, like I'm not going to give them hope and say bye. Yeah. Even though I've said that to everyone else, like I don't want them to think that I might still marry a woman. I might still give them kids in some traditional fashion and that my life is good. could end up a certain way. So they were the last ones to know. And I never found the right time. You know, there is no right time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ever for for that and I remember I think just, it's May 14th you're supposed to tell your parents you're gay sure <laughs> like national coming out day which did not exist when I was yeah. that age um, no it was towards the end of summer and I knew that the clock was ticking I knew I was about to move in with Dave straight like not like move in the romantic way but yeah. I knew he and I had already like locked an apartment together and that was it I was done coming home for life like in terms of coming back on a regular, like I live here sometimes because 
this was a year lease and we would obviously sign it for the duration of college. And then I knew I would leave the second college was over. Yeah. Uh, and, and I remember just sitting at the table, I think, I don't know, like nothing's happening. And I just, uh, blurted it with no preface or anything. It was just one of those like, uh, rip the bandaid off as, as quick yeah. as you can. And, like, I'm uh, curious. Do you remember your connotations in saying it? I, was it was it like a? I'm just wondering if it was like, like angrily as if someone had said something and you were responding with it. I'm like, gay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. I I may have mumbled like a. I can't remember if I like mumbled something before it or whatever, but I just kind of like said it. Yeah. It was like just like and then like dropped the mic and like had <laughs> nothing else to say after it. And then you know in the best you know response possible like my dad just going like do you do you want me to like put on a surprise face you know in like the kindest way yeah and then that broke the ice and i started laughing and you know and then it was just like oh my god and then it was so freeing because then it was like floodgates i was like well here's what you guys have missed you know in the last year i you know i fell hard for this guy and then this happened and this happened and this happened you know, and also like I'm smoking weed now, and uh, it was just like I was like I don't want to lie to you guys anymore. Like I was always so close with my parents. I had a year yeah. that I just was keeping them from every important thing in my life besides just like I'm doing this play and you're coming to see it. And um, I had this whole other like side life going, and, and that's just not the kind of family we were. So it was just like floodgates, and it was like then that's it. it, it oh, here's all the details of everything that yeah. I've been up to, um, and it was great. And it's not to say my parents did not struggle with, you know with that but i never felt it and they've become the most unique like open accepting happiest like p-flag parents there could ever be yeah i think like they sometimes i always say i'm like i think they think that's like gives them a certain like cool factor <laughs> um like we have this like gay son he lives in new york he works in the music industry you know yeah um but yeah so that was that was what kind of sophomore year was for me well let's let's use that segue too you finished college and do you go to New York immediately after college? I do. So I, I my next two years of college, I'm geared to go to LA the whole time because that's been like my life's path. And it was a very last minute thing. Like uh, my friend Kim, my my best friend Kim, uh, her brother was gay and he was living in New York. He lived there pretty recently, and it was like the beginning of senior year. She was going to visit him. I'd never been. I actually had no desire to go to New York. I never really cared to visit. It held nothing for me, and I wanted yeah. to do film, so it was just not a thought in my head. And she was like, oh, "I'm going to go visit my brother Andy. Like, uh, do, do you know? Would you want to come with?" I'm just like, "Yeah, I guess. Sure. Like, I'll tag along." Like, so I go, and I like credit that as like the first time I ever feel like I fell in love with something. It was just the place. I mean, I, I've never felt something like that again and i i've never felt so just like that is this is my home this is where i'm supposed to be and i was bawling after that trip to leave it i did not want to come back it, it was i don't know it was like a world i'd never seen before and guys were holding hands and walking down the street we went to a gay bar and it was not like the gay bars in in you know ann arbor and, and life was just like it, 
the city was alive. And I remember like we walked into like a McDonald's and there's a cockroach on the floor. And it was like, this is New York. Like, <laughs> that's so gross. But I love this so much. And it, I've just never <sighs> felt anything like it. It was like it was alive always. It, you know, it was every hour it was just like you'd look out the window. I'd be wide awake at four in the morning. It was just like there's like life happening out here. And as soon as we got back, it was like, that's it. I'm going to New York the second I graduate. And I was like, yeah. And you I love LA, but I am not going there. So what's the transition there for your career? Because you're, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be an actor, I'm in the music business. <laughs> what? I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be an actor, I'm going to be a waiter. Yeah, oh well. <laughs> Isn't that what an actor is, Derek? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was, that was uh, you know, most of my 20s was spent like thinking I was going to do the acting thing or just floundering. Um, but I... We, we took off. I moved in with, with one of my best friends and like got a terrible, terrible uh, job at Planet Hollywood, just the worst job I've ever had. Um, and like, it was like, I'm making it, you know, somehow like in New York. And we had a ridiculous studio we couldn't afford that three of us shared. Um, and we were each paying like, I think we were each paying 800 a month for a, a room that we divided by bookshelves and, you know, I was like, this is great. But we had this amazing balcony. So we just sit out there and chain smoke cigarettes and weed and like watch the city. And, um, and then that just led down like what New York was for me. Um, you know, I did the headshots thing. I was just going out for auditions here and there, but I never had the drive for it that, that anyone else did. Yeah. And very quickly, all my friends were musical theater people. So they would take these like cruise ship gigs and leave for a year and go perform. And like, I was like, well, I still just want to do extra work and I want to do this and that. And, um, and then everything sort of changed. Like I, I got my next waiting tables job and then I had like a really terrible experience happen to me, uh, after a move to Harlem and like that sort of like reset me a little bit. Um, it's something you want to go into. <laughs> I don't know. I never really know how to describe it. It's like, I mean, I didn't get gay bashed, but I always say it's like that, that it only happened because they didn't break down the door before the cops got there. But, you know, this was like my second apartment in the city. Um, I had been living like way downtown in the financial district. And then, and I got an apartment with a friend and we went all in, you know, we, it was great. It's like my dream apartment, exposed brick and all the things I dreamed of for like a, what a New York apartment looked like and yeah. a big three bedroom and we could afford it. And I had been staying with a friend in a little bit different part of Harlem and everything was like really fine. And, um, you know, it, it, it just is like a different, it's a very different place now. But at the end of the day, I was like, uh, you know, young sort of just like, you know, gay white kid that, that moved into a very like, uh, you know, ungentrified neighborhood that I was not welcome in. And I get why I wasn't welcome there, and it, you know, but I just wasn't. And I was very oblivious to it. And uh, I don't, I, I still really haven't put that like connected exactly how it happened. Uh but I was only there all of like three days. It was just enough for me to completely unpack. And this massive group of people like formed at my, we were up, luckily we were like up high around like the fourth floor or something. Uh, And, and she started screaming the faggot word and like 
you know, a lot of really, really, really terrible things and, and threatening my life and trying to bust down the front door to get in to then try to get to my apartment door. And um, it, it was definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely the most traumatizing sort of thing I ever went through. Yeah. And it's also the reason I would never take it back because a lot of really great things came off of it. But what ended up basically happening is uh, eventually the cops came and I remember the cops laughing it off as they explained that they were, you know, this faggot living upstairs and the cops kind of laughing it off and they're just like, well, you know, we can't see it and just left. And that was it. And they just perched like this. There was a few guys that like remained like a lot of the group broke up and a few guys just sat and waited across the street. And like, I just watched and watched and my roommate eventually came home. I was like bawling in tears and I left. I like took off in the middle of the night and uh, went to my friend's apartment and I came back once with movers to get my stuff and, and that was it. And they wouldn't let us out of our lease. Uh, so I just lost everything, you know, I had. So I, I couldn't like go get a new place or anything like that. So anyway, this terrible story led to just, uh, I, I definitely shelled up for a while after that. Yeah. And it was a little like I didn't want to go to auditions and I didn't want to be in public. I didn't really want to get on the train. I didn't really want to leave the apartment. And I didn't, you know, I, I became very sort of like uh, a little shell-shocked by the whole thing. And because I was like, but I'm in New York. Like I've already gone through, like not this, but yeah. this is where it's not supposed to happen. This is my safe space. And Well, I imagine um, if it's a group of strangers and New York is filled with groups of strangers, that's just got to be a, all of a sudden you think, oh, this could happen at any time, anywhere, any corner, any block. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I made such like progress in, in my comfortability of being gay. And I feel like it, yeah. I got set back a little bit that said, you know, what ended up happening is because of that, uh, in my next restaurant I was working at, which really sort of like my defining sort of next seven years, uh, my manager was like, my brother has a place in Jackson Heights, Queens, uh, he's looking for a roommate. And I was like, Oh, I didn't move to, you know, I was such an asshole. Then. I, was like, I didn't move to like New York to live in Queens. Like I'm here to live in Manhattan. Like, and, you know, that no one lives in Manhattan. So anyway, I go check it out and it ends up being the rest of pretty much my New York life. Uh, I lived in that building for 12 years wow. on the same floor. And, uh, I moved in with, with Sean's brother, Michael and Sean and Michael are I mean, their brothers to me. Uh, Sean ended up moving in as well. And we had this really great space for years. And when they both had finally left, like the studio next door, literally next door opened up and I moved in there for the next seven years of my life. Like, uh, and my best friend Kim moved three floors up and we just had this sort of friends, like perfect thing. Um, but anyway, That's awesome. the point is uh, I was waiting tables and I was just out at concerts every night. It was like every night. And I would miss auditions and I didn't really give a shit. And I'd come to work and I'd want to talk about like all the TV I watched the night before, what concerts I'd been at. I would demand, like I would always take over the playlist and plug in my iPod and be like, I made a new mix for us for like for this shift tonight. And I was always like curating the music everywhere I worked. Like I would not work to anything but my own music. And I just like, I was like watching everyone who's getting up and all they want to talk about. I was like, don't you want to talk about anything else? Like literally anything is more interesting than talking about your audition or what role you want. And, and it just sort of clicked where it was like, I don't think 
I care about this the way I should. Yeah. And I also think I got out of it what I needed. Like, I think I needed it to give me a certain amount of like social skills and comfortability with myself. And I think once I like sort of drained that, it was like, okay, well, great. Then I'm fine to give it up, but also like now what? And also, you know, 40 K and college later. (laughs) Um, So then I just sort of floundered for a while. It was just like, "Mm." I mean, I just partied. Yeah. Waited tables and, blew all my money at the bar and uh and then i feel like the story is like a it's a cliche one i guess in my industry so i always feel dumb telling it but basically what happened was i just had no idea what i do was a job at that point i remember i was loving the show parenthood and watching its first season and they used all this incredible music and all this incredible indie rock that like i only knew and yeah it didn't on middle America's watching the show. And I was like really kind of baffled by like every episode, how it was so amazing. And it just sort of like, it was just watching the credits one day. I was like, Oh, music supervisor, you know, Liza Richardson. And I kind of like looked, looked into it. And it's like, Oh, that is somebody's job to place like everything I've ever heard a song in every great commercial, every like moment that's ever stuck with me and anything I've ever watched. Yeah. Somebody's job was that. And then it was just like, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like that's my influence on, on TV and film. And, you know, it was like, I don't have to be in it, but I can put a great song over a scene. And like, that's my stamp on it. And I don't need like the credit. I don't need whatever I thought I needed from acting. I don't need, I just like, I want to have an influence on. And it ties, I feel like it ties back into what we were discussing in the beginning about like your, the, the effect that TV and films have on, on you when you're uh, looking for those moments those moments don't exist without the soundtrack. <laughs> like no, the, the soundtrack ca- like creates those moments. It's a, it's like a. I, I think it's always like the most. Uh, like I don't think people really think about how much a song actually like cues their emotions in something. Like that scene may have like made you feel something, but like you add like it's like, it's like that cherry on top. Like you add that yeah. right song. Yeah. And it's something huge, and that's kind of how like. I guess more in the way that I, I use things was like, that's how I would like make my life a movie and TV is like the music I was listening to. It's just like the same song over yeah. and over. It's like, this is my, like, this is my song. This defining heartbreak or this, you know, defining like great moment is like this song. And, you know, so from there it was just, uh, it was nice to have direction again, I guess, but I really had no idea what the fuck to do from there. And it was also like starting over again. It was like, I mean, I think it's like a theme of my life. It's just like, and you're starting over again. Like, so it, everything just kind of worked out perfectly. Like my, my friend Tamar was the f- accessories editor at Nylon magazine. You know, Nylon is really like hand in hand with music. Yeah. And they had Nylon TV and all that. And so uh, she was, she happened to sit next to uh, th- th- Sarah Lewitton, who is, is this like, at that point she's kind of like a idol in new york of uh, in the like indie music scene you know she was the one running around with the strokes and interpol and uh she signed the killers and broke them and you know she was like the heartbeat of like music in that town and she would very much kind of like be at this place for a bit and do this job for a bit and so she happened to be working at nylon at that point and my friend was like well look she's amazing you know i sit right next to her i know she could use an intern 
you know, would you want to do that? I was like, yeah, of course I want to do that. And her and I met and it was like, uh, it was like Tamar's birthday party. And Tamar kind of like put us together. And Sarah was like, do you want to smoke a joint with me? And I was like, obviously. And that was it. And we were just like, you're amazing. And she's like, yeah, I was, like, do you want an intern? And I was like, I loved intern. Yeah. Um, so I went and that ended up being my first like actual gig. Like she took me on and, and, even though she was kind of marketing, she knew what I wanted to do in terms of, of, you know, music supervision. And, and so she was like, well, Nylon TV, like their person's leaving, like you take over pulling their music and, and setting all that. And it's like, but, but yeah, but the new people coming in, like, aren't going to know. She's like, no, exactly. So you don't ask them, you tell them that this is what you do. You do the music here. And, and it was just kind of one of those, like, okay, I, I do the music here. <laughs> and uh, and then she left, and I stayed. And uh, fake it till you make it situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of led from one thing to the other, and basically what ended up happening was, so okay, there is there is music supervision, and that is the person that you know would put that song in planes, trains, and automobiles. But what would happen is that person goes to places like I work with or music publishers or labels and they send out a search that is like, Hey, this is the, this is the scene. This is our budget. This is the song we either can't afford or we want something like, or it's not quite right. Or we want it with this lyric or we want it with this BPM. I mean, it can be very, very, very specific, but you know, what do you have that, that you could send for this budget by you know, noon tomorrow? And, and so, I'm the person on the flip side. I wanted to be that person for a minute. And then I kind of realized like, they're the ones that have to do all the paperwork. They're the ones that have to do like chasing down. If it's a song, especially if it's like, you know, a song that has like eight writers on it, they've got to go to eight individual publishers and they're like frantically searching at the last minute for who's got the final 3% of this song. Well, and it sounds like they don't actually really do the music part. It's more like, this is the idea of what we want here. Well, and you they get will to find it, but but then what they get they what their job is is to like then sift through the or maybe they know what they want, but but if they don't, then they've got like a hundred different companies like me and people like me sending them a playlist and they listen yeah. through and like this is the one that hits every mark that I needed it to hit and you know hopefully you're the one that that pitched it and hopefully you're the one that landed it but um, yeah but but basically nylon was a, a short lived thing and i basically had to go right back to interning uh which was where then what my next job was for the next seven years um and i went from interning to part-time to full-time to we'll give you video games like so you can test yourself like we you know we aren't really doing anything with it you love them we don't we don't know what what kind of music they use or anything like that like why don't you prove yourself with video games yeah great so i started coming out to LA a bunch and, you know, meeting with all the, the game music supervisors. And that was my little niche. Um, and then that led to, you know, up and up and up to pitching everything, TV, film ads. And that was the next like seven years of my life in New York. And it was pretty like pretty perfect. That's awesome. I was like living alone I yeah, love, how early know, on, like, how were you surviving in New York as an intern? <laughs> I was working full time. It was just like college all over okay. again, except this time I'm a little older and I'm a lot more tired uh, <laughs> and equally as broke. Uh, but no, it was really exhausting. So I would, I would work like, 
I would intern three or four days a week. And then I would literally do that from like, and then at five, I would run. And at Nylon, when I was just an intern there, uh, my restaurant was just two blocks away. So I would be like running and all I would do was just like grab a hot dog on the way and like eat it and boom. And then wait tables all night and get up and do it all over again. And you know, it was exhausting. Is it, is it funny to look back and see how obvious it is that like you, you know, you just said I was exhausted. I was working and then I'd go intern. I imagine you never did that with acting. It doesn't sound like you had that same sort of drive with acting when you were doing it. So is it funny to look back and see like, oh, putting in that work, like that's what leads yeah. to the success, right? Like, Well, it does. And I will also say I was also like, you know, it was my 20s and I was in New York and I was like newly gay. And so I was also just like living a certain life. Yeah. And I was also just, you know, nonstop stoned and all that. And, and as soon as like the internship thing ha happened, it was when everything started to like grow up a little bit. It was like, I quit smoking and I used weed for like a little bit of a crush to quit smoking. But then I cut that too and I cleared my head. And, and it was just like, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm focused. I am, you know, but you, you had that discipline and that mm -hmm. was combined with the passion. And I, feel and like I, I definitely like, the acting thing was a whim. Like the, the jobs I got for acting. So basically what happened is like in those twenties, like I grew my hair out to like nipple length. And the only reason I got such consistent work is because there were so few actors that had that sort of like long hair, like hippie-ish look. So yeah. I would book every single seventies set. Cause there's just like, there was only a handful. So that was always my like claim to fame. So there was this like reboot of this British show called life on Mars. And it was, they were like, we can't have you, we can't have people notice. So they would have me extra every other episode I would be in. And by the end, they liked me. So they'd push you forward a little bit or whatever. But uh, I was really just getting those gigs because the agencies would see my long hair and be like, you want to come in for this? I was not trying for anything. <laughs> so, but yes. So then uh, fast forward to more recently, you meet somebody and end up going to L.A. <laughs> Yeah. Again, starting over um, <laughs> from scratch a little bit. Uh, so yeah, that was, you know, a lot kind of changed in the last few years. Uh, I'd never really had like a super, you know, like long-term committed relationship or anything because the other thing that came with, with the music career was just my general complete and total focus on career. Yeah. And it was really healthy for me because I was not, I was done like, you know, crying over some guy or whatever it was, you know, falling for someone ridiculous that yeah. I wasn't worthy of it. So I was just so career focused. It was just, it is one of those stupid things. You're like, well, it's second you stop looking for it, but it didn't happen for me in New York, you know, and, and it took kind of coming out here and I was out here so much for work and, you know, met my current partner out here and we did almost, three years of a long distance relationship. Wow. Just silly. And now we've been in quarantine together for nine months. Um, and that feels like its own three years of, of yeah. like, Oh, remember long distance. Uh, we've literally went from one extreme to the other, but yeah. Um, yeah, basically the, you know, like the, the great little like New York job I had had went through a bunch of financial shit and 
Uh, they had to let go of the creative staff and that sort of like reset me um, into a weird place. And, and he and I had been together for a while. And um, at that point it was like, do we start thinking about this? So I was kind of like trying to get jobs out here and that wasn't really working. It's really hard to get a job in, in a city you don't live in, it turns out. Um, especially when it's across the country. And everything was, you know, a little bit more complicated because he has a kid and I also was like desperately in love with the kid. And, you know, things just were getting progressively harder and harder and harder. Like it's, it's a very hard thing to like try to do movie night, you know, with a, with a five-year-old and yeah. you know, your partner, both of which like you love more than anything on the planet. And you're trying to like Skype it and make it is like, we're all together. Yeah. Uh, and you're not together, you know, and yeah. everybody knows it. And it's, it's a very difficult thing to kind of manage. So basically, you know, I decided to come out here and moved out here the very end of February. Exactly, I think, like a week and a half before quarantine. So... <laughs> Uh, Your timing is impeccable. It's yeah, it's 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 been interesting. Um, it's an odd thing because you know I'll, I'll never really love anything like New York in terms of of a place. It was fifteen and a half years of my life, and uh, it's still like my favorite place on the planet. Yeah. But it was also life was kind of pointing in a certain way. Like life was also shutting down for me in a certain way. There, like the things I loved about it, my job, you know, like that disintegrated uh, my best friend moved to ireland everyone started to leave the city everyone was starting to get married and have kids and like you know my friend base was just like going back home or they were you know going here and there yeah. and watching all of that sort of dissolve and and i had lost the great apartment i loved you know seven years because you know i didn't own it and <laughs> it was a gift for his grandson and you know, so I was just found myself. I'm like, well, what am I staying here for when I do have like these, this man and this child that, you know, I adore, like, why am I in New York still? Um, so I might still love it. And it's not like I have like a grand love of LA, but yeah, I did decide to. So this will be your first, uh, first winter without snow. <laughs> it will be. I mean, Barring the the El Paso years, but yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah, in your adult life, <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck with that. That's always a fun. That's always a fun. It's, it's the big one. perk. Yeah, because I have missed New York a lot in the fall, but it was like uh, now it's all about to pay off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so and, uh, you it's, know, and you are, I mean, you ended up getting the job that you were hoping to get. I did. You know, things have fallen into place. It just kind of like took a minute and you're um, doing the same thing you were doing in new york but for a different company is that right yeah yeah i'm a, i'm and pitch kind of across all mediums with a little more focus on television which is where my my heart lies yeah things had fallen in line it, it was just sort of it was the rough coming out here at a really bad time and, yeah yeah well i i think that brings us current uh, did is there anything i didn't cover that you were wanting to talk about i think that's i think that's <laughs> I think we it, checked every know. box. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Derek. I'm going to go to bed. Yes, by all means. <laughs> um, I'm going to eat dinner. Yeah. See, I did that already. You got to eat at like 4.30 <laughs> like a grandpa, and then you could have been done with dinner by now. Um, awesome. Well, I love you. Thank you. I will talk love you. to you, Thank you. soon. Talk um, to you later. Excellent.
All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye. I'm back with Jenny Helms, licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. I've been practicing that so many times I got it right. Um, and she's going to help out with some Q&A. The question is from Leslie, and Leslie asked, how do you break the cycle in a trauma bond? What is a trauma bond? So if I'm thinking she's defining it the way that I define it, it would be the kind of that toxic bond that builds between people when you have codependency or enmeshment. Okay. Um, or like people do they can bond to people that are abusive to them, right? Yeah. Um, we see this a lot in domestic violent or domestically violent or emotionally abusive relationships where it just seems to be like this very toxic bond. And I think part of it is because people think love is needing the other person or like they have a, they have a warped definition of what love is. Yeah. And if they struggle with trauma from their past, this person, even if they're abusing them, is also fulfilling their needs as far as, like, their attachment style because they have an insecure attachment. Like, they're not going to want to attach to somebody who's healthy because that doesn't align with the way their nervous system is wired to love another person. Yeah. Does that make sense? Maybe yeah. I'm – yeah, I'm just trying to hash that out. So – I'm trying to make sure I answer her question. How do you break the cycle? Is that yeah. the question? Yeah, that's the big question. That is the big question. It, I mean, it does look different for every person because it's going to depend on like that specific cycle of abuse. To me, it, it indicates they really need to go see a therapist that specializes in trauma and relationships. Yeah. And that's a good place to start because they're – hopefully trained and, and could see where they need to start doing that work with you as far as like, you know, uncovering what initial trauma probably created that trauma, like what created you having what we call those trauma bonds and relationships in the first place. Because it didn't just happen in that relationship. Like there's all the stuff that happened before yeah, and right. working through and healing those pieces and, learning what healthy love is and how to regulate your nervous system because it doesn't, it feels really icky. It feels anxiety provoking. It feels selfish. Like I'm just sharing terms that people have shared with me as they're like healing, like it feels bad. And so that's the part that I think is so, so hard for people because we try, we typically think like when things feel right, like this is the right path. But when we've had trauma, things that feel really good can come from really bad places and things that feel really bad can be coming from really healthy, good places. And so it's like, we have to ask ourselves about those feelings and be willing to work and heal through that to heal that. Because a lot of people don't do this on their own because it feels icky to heal. Yeah. That, I, hopefully that's a decent answer. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I immediately was thinking about like the few relationships I had when I was younger. If the person was like, super into me and nice to me and like just a really good partner i was like i need to get out of this relationship right <laughs> looking right. back it's like oh wait why did i constantly seek out the people that thought i was like as worthless as i did <laughs> that's weird um <laughs> weird because like the people that thought you were worthwhile you're like you have bad taste yeah. um <laughs> that's exactly right you? yeah yeah <laughs> i get that i know where you're coming from <laughs> oh only because I also do. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I had my own like flavor of, of issues and I, 
yeah, like what I thought was love and, you know, wasn't love, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, there you go, Leslie. I think, I mean, from what I understand, <laughs> I think that's a good answer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll let you be yeah. the judge, the, the end all, end all be all. All right. You just listened to episode 53 with my friend Derek. Wasn't that fun? It was good catching up with Derek. Uh, that's crazy. His job with in the music industry, like what a what a cool job to have. I mean, if you're someone that likes finding new music, I think that's like the dream job to have. And then uh, obviously the amazing story of what he went through with his parents and just really great. And I, I thank him so much for sharing everything he did and his coming out story and everything. It was it was really great catching up with him and finding out stuff that I definitely never knew the answer to. I mean, obviously I didn't even know he <laughs> didn't grow up in Michigan. It's funny what you don't know about people, um, depending on, you know, when you meet them in their live lives. I can't talk. You know what I'm saying? And thank you, Jenny Helms for answering Leslie's question. Hopefully we got some, uh, trauma bonds broken. If not, maybe started that road, but I will talk to you guys in the new year. And, <laughs> The next episode is part one of the interview with me. That's right. People interviewed me. I'm just as scared as you are. Uh, I look forward to any reactions I might get from that. And I will talk to you guys pretty soon here in the new year. Bye-bye, 2020. Hello, 2021. I love you. Bye-bye.